We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Is there anybody that's got a reason to rejoice? Hallelujah. Did he wake you up this morning? Did he give you breath in your lungs? Let's do what the Bible says. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Oh, somebody ought to give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Tell your neighbor, I've got a reason to rejoice. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be in the house, Lord. God bless you. You may be seated as you grab your Bibles. We're going to go before the Lord and get into the Word of God. The last several weeks, we've had the opportunity, the blessing of having uh, Brother Troy Diaz preach to us, as well as Brother Puller preaching to us. It's been a great time, and uh, and thankful for what the Lord has done. And you know, don't 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 miss those words. If you missed them, go back and listen to them. And God will bless you time and time again with it. You know, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself in, in, in the Bible study. I'm, I'm actually only a thousand lessons ahead of myself by saying this, but, you know, one of the signs of a clean animal was they would ruminate. They would chew on it, and uh, they, would, they would set it in a pouch, and then later they'd bring it back up and they'd chew on it some more to get all of the nutrients out of that food that they were eating. And I want to tell you, one of the signs of a healthy Christian is that you don't just take the word and ingest it, but you take the word and you chew on it, and then you bring it back up and you chew on it. I want to tell you, every Bible study, everything, we are blessed in this generation. How many remembers when you used to have to buy the tape? You remember the tape or the CD? And because and, tapes weren't free, CDs weren't free, you had to pay for it. We might have to go back to that, uh, Brother Word. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But no, you can get online. You can, you can, we've got it so convenient for you to go back and to ruminate on the Word of the Lord. So go back there. Listen to all of it that you can. And uh, I want to tell you, we got a prophetic word uh, this last Wednesday from Brother Puller. He preached, amen, a prophetic word to our church. And so go back and listen to all that that you can and just take as much as you can from that. And everybody said, amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're, gonna, we're just going to kind of find our place in the book of Genesis chapter 21, and we're going to continue on. It's been several weeks since uh, we, we have been in our Bible study. We've been just having church, and I uh, want to get back into this, and we want to continue in this Bible study. Everybody said amen. You can be seated, Sister Pam, if you'd like. Sister Pam is real saved right now. She's keeping us all on our feet. Amen. Well, you can stand for the word if you want, but we'll be in the word all day, so amen. Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. I'm just having fun. Uh, and so Genesis chapter, uh, we're going to go to, we're going to just kind of hold the place at Genesis chapter 21. But just to give a quick recap, uh, we, we started moving on, and, and I, you know, I, I thought, man, I, I need to apologize for taking my time. But, you know, I really felt, no, I don't need to apologize for nothing. We're living in the most biblically illiterate generation that's ever lived, and we have to take our time. Because we have an abundance of ed we have abundance abundance of uh, of entertainment, and uh, not just in the world, but we have an abundance of entertainment in the church. I'm all for programs and plays and all of that. We'll do that, and we need to do that. But the primary function of the church is to teach and to educate. I hope you get blessed in the middle of all of that. Uh, but the primary function is for you to be educated 
in the Word of God so you can then go and teach somebody else. So I, I wanted to, you know, at first I thought, man, I need to apologize for taking time. And I thought, no, no, we need to teach. We need to learn. So we're going we're gonna to take our time. Amen. And if it takes us till Jesus comes back to get out of the book of Genesis, so be it. Amen. But I'm just, I'm going to do what I feel. And each time I go through this, I get, I feel like God just really says, you need to take your time on this. And uh, I, I don't want to just drag through it, but I really want to take my time intentionally and pull every little nugget that we can out of the word. And so last time we got together, we really got off on one of those tangents in, in the Bible and some of those, there's two themes that we got off on, and we were talking about uh, intercession, amen, and we were also talking about uh, entertaining strangers, hospitality. But then we moved on and we got into the fourth dispensation of promise, and this was where men were now required to love and to believe in God and to obey the covenant. And the first requirement was to be a holy people, to be separate and set apart. And I'm going to be preaching on this soon, but it's important for us to realize that we as the church are not to be like the world. We have never been, even back all the way back at Abraham. God was instituting that the people of God were to be different, that they were to be separate and set apart, and that is the will of God for us. In fact, the Bible tells us, according to 1 Peter, if you say, well, that's just Old Testament. No, that's New Testament as well. He said, don't you know that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that we are to show forth the praises of him that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to tell you, did you know you are a special people? Did you know that because you've been, you're part of the body of Christ, you are part of a royal priesthood. You are, it doesn't matter what family you were born into in the natural, when you were born again, the Bible says you were not born again of corruptible seed. Amen. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but you and I were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And everybody said amen. So we are, because of our redemption, we are a separate, pulled apart uh, separated people. Amen. We read earlier how Abraham was promised that he'd be a great nation. God reaffirmed that promise over and over again. And how many knows that God is a promise keeper? Amen. Brother Polar preached us, amen, about the God of the seventh day last Wednesday, that God always finishes what he starts, and he always keeps the promises that he started. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says don't, that, that all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. Amen. I want you to know that every time God makes a promise, the Bible says his word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which he sent it forth to do. Every word that God ever promised, you can bank on it, you can bet on it, you can set and build your life on it. In fact, Jesus put it this way, whoever hears my word and does them, it is so sure he is like a man that dug down deep and found a foundation and he built a house that even when the storms of life came, nothing could destroy that house. I want to tell you, God's word is so true and so sure that if you can build your life on it, it doesn't matter what storms come. It doesn't matter what the devil brings. It doesn't matter what life brings. You will have a firm foundation that you can rest your life on. And everybody said amen. And so God fulfilled what he promised. God visited them just like he said. Amen. In verse number 1 of chapter 21, the Bible says this. 
In Genesis 21 and verse number 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he said. We want God to often visit us as we say. But God will always fulfill his promise to us, not our promise that we say he said. <laughs> and that's the biggest difference right there. If God truly gave you the promise, amen, I want you to know he will fulfill it as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time, amen, our time frames are not God's time frames. Well, I want God to do it and I want God to do it now. God will do it as he said, he will fulfill it as he spoke it, and he will do it in the time frame he chose to do it. All of us, if we're to be honest, we would fulfill things in a logical moment or a logical way. We would have maybe even let Abraham and Sarah have a moment of faith. We would have waited until maybe the last year before menopause and said, all right, now we're going to bless her with a kid. That's not how God worked. He waited until Abraham was 100 years old. He waited till it was absolutely impossible. And this is important because previous to this, Abraham produced a child that was by his own power, in his own time frame, and in his own strength. And it was, it was by the will of man. But God wanted a son to be born that came by miraculous birth because it was to be a testimony all the way later in the New Testament that God has already fulfilled miraculous births and so the fact that the messiah would be born of a virgin is nothing new to god if god can do it with for people that are over a hundred years old god can do it this way as well he was setting the motion that god can do anything in fact in genesis 18 and 14 the question is asked is there anything too hard for the lord you find that a few times through your bible but i gotta ask you the question is there anything too hard for the lord if you ever feel like you've said no, but you felt yes, you got to go back to the word Lord and rest your life on this again. I know I've been there before. I've said, no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord except for what I'm dealing with. But I want to tell you there's nothing too hard for God, and you can rest on him. And everybody said amen to that. So we talked a little bit about God fulfilling it as he promised. We're going to continue in chapter 21. And Abraham called the name of the son that he was born unto him whom Sarah bare unto him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, so that all that hear me will laugh with me. And he said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have bare him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And I felt very strongly last time we talked to really get into Christian maturity and how they created an entire feast when Isaac was weaned. When he started to grow up, it was a celebration. It is always a celebration when we as Christians mature beyond milk and we start moving into meat. Uh, I know some places where they only celebrate people uh, that just, they are babes in Christ. You need to celebrate that. Amen. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. We have a celebration. This is a celebrating church. It is always a celebration when somebody gets baptized. 
It is always a celebration when somebody receives the gift of the Holy Ghost and speaks in other tongues. And we're never going to stop celebrating. Amen. We also believe it's a celebration when prodigal sons come home. We're not like the prodigal brother that says, well, you should have never left and you should have always been here. Yeah, you should have never messed up. No, we're a church that says, throw them a party. Let's have a celebration. Welcome home. But it's also a reason for celebration when people mature as Christians. It's a celebration where the thing, when the things that offended you last year don't offend you this year. Well, praise God. It's a celebration when you don't need five weeks of counseling, you've learned how to pray. Right? Now, thankfully, ain't nobody like that. Amen. Everybody's just so spiritual and holy. Praise God. Amen. But it's a celebration when you get a walk with God for yourself, and all of a sudden now you can, you know, it's a celebration when you can go to the Word of God and get your own answer. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to go to your brother. That's what we're here for. The Bible says we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is the will of God. But there is something so, so celebratory about when people can say, you know what? I remember a, a sermon that was preached, you know, seven, eight years ago. Or I remember a Bible study that was given uh, four years ago or whatever the case may be. I'm actually going to go back to that and I'm going to revisit that word. I, right now, my mind and my emotions are saying freak out and have a moment where you just get ready to backslide and leave and, and get angry and get bitter. But I've matured to the place where. I'm actually going to go back to where I found my answer and I'm going to hear it again and I'm going to ruminate on it and I'm there's something celebratory about that when people now have matured to the place where, uh, you know what, Pastor, you don't need to qualify what you're saying. I understand that you're in the Word. And, in fact, I'm, I'm not just saying that I forgot all of the previous Bible studies or previous things. I've actually chewed on them enough where I've metabolized them and I've made them part of who I am. And I have grown as a person. And now I'm going to take all those things and I'm going to use that strength that God has given me. You know, there's something, uh, you know, kids are cute. Babies are cute. And we love babies around here. We pray that God will just fill this church with a million babies. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, but kids make messes. And they make noise. And that's all right. But, you know, kids mess in their diaper and that's all right. But when they're 40 years old, and they still got a bottle, and, and, and not by any medical reasons. They're still making a mess in their diaper. And they're saying, everybody in the church needs to change me. And you need to put up with me because that's just how I am. Brother, you are, you know, some people, I've lived for God 40 years. No, you live for God one year 40 times. And there is a big difference. But when you mature, where now... Man, I, I've got the word. I've grown to the place where Isaac said, you know what? I don't need milk anymore. I'm ready for, I'm ready for some real food. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to grow and get some strength. And, you know, there's that point where kids are running around and, and, and they're, they're touching light sockets. And, you know, it, I'm sure it's a little bit frustrating. But there's something beautiful about the fact that, you know, where you used to have to say, come on, walk to me. Now you're saying, slow down. 
<laughs> sit down. You know, it's, you spend first several months, years of their life telling them walk, talk, and the rest of their life telling them sit down and shut up. But, you know, there is that element of people when they get mature as Christians. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What does spiritual maturity look like? Amen. 1 Peter, amen, chapter 1 Verse 4 through 10, you could read it later. We talked about it last time. He talked about adding to your faith. Add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you what happens when you mature. You become a fruitful person. Amen. When you mature, amen, you start producing. When you become mature, uh, you know, I've got, I've just planted an apple tree last year and nothing happened this year because it's not mature. But if nothing happens in five years, I'm cutting the thing down because it's now taking up space. Amen. But I had a peach tree I planted and I didn't expect it to go, but it matured a little faster than I expected. And I, I got about 10 pounds of peaches. They were all real small, but they were delicious. But you know, there's something about it when somebody comes into church and they get the Holy Ghost and they get baptized and they get filled with something that they start to grow in grace and they grow in knowledge and they start growing from I've got faith in God to now I've got patience and I've got godliness and I love my brother and I forgive the those that have wronged me. There's something beautiful. I want to tell you what should happen in every individual. Amen. When you shout on Sunday, don't just shout because the devil's a liar. Don't just shout, amen, because you got the victory. Shout because you are maturing. Shout because... Shout because you forgave somebody that wronged you. Shout because I can stand on my own too. Shout because Isaac's been weaned. Shout because I no longer need milk, but I've got meat. Shout because you got a strength you didn't have. Shout because you're producing. Shout because God has allowed you to minister to somebody else. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands and give the Lord some praise. It is a celebration. When people mature, I know, I know some churches that like to keep people dumb. Now, thank God that's not here. I don't want you to be dumb. If you are dumb, it makes my job hard. <laughs> you ever work with dumb people? Man, thank God y'all are not dumb. Amen. Because it's hard. You know, working with, working with, you can, you can, some people are very skilled at it though. Because if you just keep them dumb, all they want is food and water. That's all they want. Just feed me, preacher. But you get people that are smart, they start saying, how can, I, how can I work in the kingdom? What ministry does God have for my life? And they start taking uh, everything that God is doing as seriously as you are. And, and there's something beautiful about that. It is, I know of some places they want to keep people ignorant. In fact, you know, they just, let's just come to church and you just give and shout and just, you know, that's it. Go home and don't say nothing. But I want to tell you, there's something beautiful about people that get educated in the kingdom. They get revelation. Because guess what? When you become a disciple, you will make a disciple. And a growing church is a discipling church. And that is our, is our goal and our desire here at ARC is to become a discipling church. Amen. And it's where you get discipled. The, 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 the burden is not upon the discipleship course. The burden is not upon some class. The burden is not even on Wednesday night. I want to tell you where the burden is for discipleship. It is you and Jesus. 
Hallelujah. And when you and Jesus work things out and you get in the word, amen, I want to tell you what happens. You then find somebody else and you walk alongside them and you lead them in the paths of righteous along. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And we should all celebrate that. Amen. And everybody said hallelujah. So that is a part of celebration, spiritual maturity, Christian maturity. But what happens when Isaac is weaned? Let's go to Genesis chapter 21, and let's continue with this. Verse 8 said, the child grew and was weaned. He got to the place of strength where he didn't need mom for everything. He got to the place where he could do it on his own. Does that mean he got rid of mom? No. Amen. Some people think, well, I'm spiritual enough. I don't need the church. That is not what that's saying. You still need God. You still need the people of God. You still need, still need fellowship. Well, I'll worship from home. No, you'll watch from home. <laughs> and do laundry praise God there's a lot of other things that you need your brother you need your sister you can't disconnect from those things but you do have a strength where man I'm, I'm I you know what I, if you don't feed me every five seconds I'm going to be all right you know if I don't have attention every five seconds I'm going to be fine I'm going to be you know if, if you don't call me every two minutes I'm going to be good in fact I'll see you on Sunday in fact I'll be praying tomorrow I'll be praying tonight Amen. there's something beautiful about that when we all grow into that and that's our that's not just the call uh, for the pastor that's a call for every individual as well but verse number nine I want you to notice something and we're going to get into some theology here tonight and Sarah saw the son of Hagar remember Hagar was the Egyptian woman Amen. Which she had borne unto him unto Abraham, she saw the son of, of Hagar mocking. The mistake that they made was mocking the miracle God produced. Amen. And there's a whole sermon you could preach there, and we probably will one day. But when you make mistakes, I want to tell you, those mistakes will always afflict the things God is trying to do in your life. When you make mistakes, condemnation always rears its ugly head. And it, every time you start thinking, well, God wants to use me or God's calling me to this or God wants. And you start walking and operating in spiritual maturity. The, the devil will work on you through condemnation to say, well, don't you remember? You're just being a hypocrite because don't you remember what you did last week? Amen. And every time we make a mistake, those mistakes come back to mock us and to, ha to, to haunt us. And this is exactly what's happening. Verse number 10. Wherefore, she said to Abraham. Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And notice the next part. A Ab Abraham, he has produced an Ishmael through Hagar who came from Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is always a type of the world. He went to the world. He went to the carnal way. He went to sin, and he produced an Ishmael that was not of God, but it was by man and by man's effort. And here he is being told by Sarah, you need to get rid of that. That mistake has got to go. And when you read it, just let's, let's look at the Bible face value. It's, it seems really brutal because you're actually talking about human lives. Get rid of of this woman and this child that happens to share your DNA. And Abraham, the Bible says in verse 11, the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. He loved his son. Remind you, he spent 14 years saying, 
oh, this is the promised child. You know, we will convince ourselves that our mistakes are actually the miracle, that our mistakes are actually the promise from God, but they're not. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll live our whole lives saying, well, no, my way is the right way. And finally, when God shows up and starts working things out, we've now got to navigate around all of the mistakes that we've made. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, which means if God has gifted you and God has called you, he wants to use you in that. Now, if you make a mistake, God can still use you. But it's going to take a little bit of a detour. And there might be some things in your life that you're going to need to get rid of. Maybe before, they could have, he could have had Isaac and Hagar could have stayed in the house because he, he never had a kid with Hagar. But now that he's made the mistake, the, the Bible says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. And there's some people, well, I, I, I can still keep this and I can still keep that and I can still fulfill the promise of God. And God will come by and say, no, because of the mistake and because the mistake is persecuting, you actually got to get rid of all of it. And this is why Abraham was grieved because he loved his son. In verse number 12, God came by and said, Abraham, let it not be grievous in your sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice for in Isaac shall thy seed be called later on God says don't worry about Ishmael I'll take care of Ishmael but you cannot let the mistakes that you have made live in the same house as the miracles if you got the Bible Galatians chapter 4 and we're going to let Paul lead us into a deeper understanding of these verses what seems like just an Old Testament story. This is why when we read the Bible, you can't just read the Bible like you would a textbook. Let's hurry up and get to the end. In fact, when I first got saved, I started reading. I thought, I got some genealogy. I thought, this got boring. So I just flipped to the book of Revelation to figure out what happens at the end of the book because I thought it was just a one to the end. And I, I saw the snake became a dragon, and I thought, I better figure this out. <laughs> Went back and read it. Amen. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 22. And Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 22. In fact, the book of Galatians, Paul is using, and, and, I, and we're going to do a whole Bible study about these subjects when we get further into the New Testament. Um, but I'm laying the foundation now so when we get there, you understand some of these things. And even when I'm preaching, you understand some of these things. But Galatians, he is making the appeal. He's actually making four different appeals. I don't have time to talk about here today. Um, but the final appeal that he's making is the allegorical appeal. So he uses a scriptural appeal. He uses a couple other appeals. And the appeals are talking about how the law cannot justify you. That you need the grace of God. And he's now using the allegorical way. Verse chapter 4 and verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who is of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he that's of the free woman was of or by the promise, which things are an allegory. Notice how Paul, I love how Paul teaches the Old Testament to the New Testament church. He talks about giving and he goes all the way back to an Old Testament law talking about oxen, that you should not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. And he then uses this to say, did God write this because he cares about oxen? 
No, he wrote this because it was a principle that was going to be revealed to the New Testament church that we should not muzzle the proverbial ox that is treading out the corn and preaching the word. And so he's now doing the exact same thing right here. He's going all the way back, and he's talking about the very foundation of the law. And he's going back to the man the law started in, and it started with. Amen. He's going back to Abraham's two sons and the two women that produced those sons. And he said, which things are an allegory? For these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or uh, Hagar, amen. Uh, and Sinai is where the law was given to Moses. I know we haven't got there in our Bible study, but this is the foundation that is laid. He said this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which answers to Jerusalem, which is now, and is in bondage with her children. He's saying that there are still uh, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, that even though this Hagar was in Arabia, there was a law given, amen, this representation, and it is answering to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is still in bondage. He's saying the Hebrew people that are still living under the law after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he said they're still in bondage right now, amen. They may not know it, and this is the whole, the whole point he's trying to make in the book of Galatians. But Jerusalem, the desire of God, which is above all, which is free, which is the mother of us all. He's now saying that there's an allegory. There are two mothers. You've got Hagar and you've got Sarah. You've got Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia. And you've got mountain. Jerusalem is not a flat place. It's actually a mountainous region. It is the hill of Zion. So you've got two mountains. You've got Mount Zion, Mount Jerusalem, and you've got Mount Sinai. The law and the, 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 the commandments came down from this place. And there the cloud of God descended and it shook the earth. And Moses came down with tables of commandments that said, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when he came down the mountain, uh, he saw them all breaking the laws. Uh, and so he throws the laws down and, and God is shaking it and they're afraid. And three thousand die in one day in this Old Testament Hagar Mount Sinai law but in the New Testament Jerusalem you have the man Christ Jesus dying upon the cross amen on that old rugged hill called Calvary and it is there that the earth gets dark just like the Old Testament and the earth begins to shake but at this time now amen th th it's not it's not the commandments that are being broken it's the body of Jesus that's being broken and instead of bondage and leading them further into bondage now amen we ha who have received what Jesus did for us we are free above all and now when you get to Acts chapter 2, there are 3,000. Unlike the Old Testament, the 3,000 that died, uh, there are 3,000 that are repented, baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I think we ought to give God praise for that. You got bondage, which is Hagar. Amen. Mount Sinai, the law. And you got freedom, which is Jerusalem, which is Calvary, which is grace. And everybody said amen. Verse 28. He continues on in his discourse. Using these two as an allegory of how the law is not sufficient to redeem us. 
but Jesus and what he did on Calvary is able to redeem us. He said, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Notice what he said in the previous verses. He said, Hagar and Sarah, the mothers. You have the mountain of Sinai, and you have the mountain of Jerusalem. He now then goes down, and he talks about the children. Isaac is the children of promise. But, that he, but, he, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him. So now you got Isaac and Ishmael. Even as he that's born after the flesh persecuted him that was born of the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? What is the remedy? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. All of these things that Abraham didn't understand were all being presented for us today in the New Testament church. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but we are of the free. This allegory is doing more than just telling a story. It is revealing to us two separate things. Number one, it is revealing to us law and grace, Old Testament and New Testament. And number two, when it talks about the sons, it is revealing to us the battle of the flesh and of the spirit. I'm going to talk about this for a little bit here today. Some think of the Old Testament like this and the law like this. The Old Testament is bad. The New Testament is good. The Old Testament is worse. The New Testament is better. The Old Testament is dark. The New Testament is light. And that is a very minimal understanding. The Bible actually describes the Old Testament like this. The Old Testament is a setup. The New Testament is the payoff. The Old Testament is the promise. The New Testament is the fulfillment. The Old Testament is the shadow. The New Testament, Jesus is the very image of the thing. He is the reality. The Old Testament is the clue, but the New Testament is the revelation of all that clue was pointing to. The Old Testament is the promise. The New Testament is the solution, and it is the resolution. The Old Testament is nothing more than all the questions of humanity raised but the New Testament is all of the answers that you will ever need that are given the Old Testament is childhood the New Testament is maturity the New Testament is better not because God messed up in the Old Testament and I, I want to talk about this because there's some folks that think when they well I'm a Christian and there are churches that teach this they don't just teach the cessation of the gifts of the Spirit, which is not biblical. Let me just say that. God is still healing. God is still casting out devils. God is still delivering. God never stopped. Nowhere in your Bible has God ever stopped doing that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But there are people that they use blanketed terms like we're not under the law to completely stop reading the Old Testament. That, that, that is, you are missing you are missing the really the greater revelation of who Jesus really is. The New Testament is the all the Old Testament is doing. It's pointing to Jesus. In fact, Hebrews. If you if you ever read Hebrews, it is probably the greatest. Uh, dis, uh, it is probably the greatest dissertation on who Jesus is. And what does it use primarily? It uses Old Testament. 
He doesn't use logic. He just uses the Old Testament to prove who Jesus is. And so there's people that have ripped the entire Old Testament out of their Bible and said, I'm not going to read it. You are missing out on great revelations about God when you do that. Amen. The New Testament is better, but not because God messed up in the Old Testament. Furthermore, there are people that would say God of the Old Testament is a different God than God of the New Testament. Amen. They're saying in the Old Testament, God was a judge. In the New Testament, he's our Savior. Well, you've never read the book of Revelations. Because there's judgment coming again. God has never changed. He's never stopped. What you are seeing, though, is a greater revelation through Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says that by Moses the law came. Amen. But he said grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You are seeing a greater thing through the, Old or through the New Testament. But the New Testament is only as great as it is because the Old Testament laid the foundation. Don't build your house without a foundation. Don't live your Christian existence without a foundation. Read your Bible, not just the parts you like. Read it all, because you're going to get some good stuff out. Everybody said amen. It, the, the, the New Testament is better because it is the fulfillment of promises. But you can shout about fulfilled promises, and it'll be a shallow shout if you don't understand what the promises are. The fact that we are blessed. We could say, praise God, we're blessed. But when you understand it's a promise that was given thousands of years ago to a wanderer by the name of Abraham where he said in thee and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and that that was a promise on top of the promise in Genesis 3.15 that says that there's going to come a son born that's going to crush the head of the serpent and now you get to the fulfillment which is Jesus on Calvary crushing the head of the serpent and now destroying the works of the devil by using you and using me which Romans chapter 16 verse 20 says the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. I want to tell you when you finally get to the fulfillment that God is going to crush the head of the serpent using my feet. You now read the Old Testament. You get all the understanding huh? amen that it was all pointing to this moment. Now you have a deeper reason to shout and praise God. Amen. Paul is telling us, he's saying the law the law was good but, but, but what the law did was it showed us we were sinners. He said was, is the law evil? No, of course not. The law was good, but I was evil. Because the law was the apex, but I couldn't live it. He said the law was good, the Old Testament was good, but, I, but we were sinners sold under the law. We couldn't keep the law. Amen. The old way of living, the old law of living, the things that God didn't want, us to, want it to become, amen, was it was only an external code, but it never affected the heart. Amen. In the Old Testament law, it is these men that drag a woman to Jesus and say she committed adultery, and they got stones in their hand, and they said Moses' law said we should kill him. But when you read, amen, the fulfillment of the promise, Jesus writes in the sand and stands up and said, amen, he that's without sin cast the first stone. They only saw the, the, the law that said if it's an external thing, you go ahead and get rid of them. But if you got internal things, it's no big deal. But Jesus said if you got sin in your heart, go. if you don't have sin, go ahead and cast a stone. But if you got sin, and the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they departed. It was, a, it was a, an elevation of the law. Amen. In fact, and we'll talk about this in depth at another time because there's so much I could talk about, about the, 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 the way that the law worked and, and all of those different things. But when you look at the law, it is, it is the law saying don't commit adultery, don't murder. But Jesus comes by and he actually elevates the law. Well, people say, I'm not under the law. They use that as a license to sin, and, and that is not what the Bible does. 
The Bible is not giving you grace so you can go out sinning and get away with it. That is not what it is. In fact, when that woman got done, I'll tell you what, they were getting ready to kill her. It was over for her. But, and that's what the law said. The law said kill her. Grace said give her another chance. But when he talked to her, he said go your way and sin no more. Because grace is a higher law. The law said don't, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder. And that was good. You don't commit adultery, you don't commit murder. But Jesus elevated the law. And he said don't even look upon a woman to lust. He said and don't even be angry with your brother or you've committed the act in your heart. What is he saying? This is a harder law. This is a greater law. The difference is you can have my spirit inside you and you don't have to do it by yourself. Hallelujah. You don't have to live it alone. The Old Testament was an external code. It was a commandment. It was hostility. It was fear. It was shame-based. It was work-based. But the new way is the heart desire, the enabling of the Spirit, the delight that God brings, the gratitude for God making a way for us to do it, and ultimately it is the reliance upon God's help and God's Spirit, not my own effort. The law is God being holy, but grace is God helping us be holy too. The Old Testament says you just need to be holy, but the New Testament says let me fill you with my Holy Spirit so you can be holy. Amen. I preached a little bit about it on Sunday, but when we could not be like God, God became like us so that we could be made like God. Amen. We couldn't get to him, so he came to us so he could bring us back up to him. Amen. And, and, and I was talking about it. I didn't have time to get into, into it too much on Sunday. But, you know, we can't get the cart before the horse. And, 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 and this is where Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I know everybody likes to throw around words like narcissist and Pharisee, especially in church culture. But they don't understand what it means. Amen. What he's really saying is be careful that you don't just do what everybody sees, but it's not in your heart. Amen. In fact, Jesus was confronted, and they, and they said, uh, well, what about this? And Jesus said, you pay tithe on mint and cumin. They were going to their cupboard, to their, to their, uh, uh, their, their, their spice rack, and they were taking 10% off of it, and they were given that. Amen. And, and Jesus said it this way, all of this you should have done. Notice how Jesus never eradicated and got rid of that. He's saying you did a good thing. You were, fulfilling, you were fulfilling the ideal of the law that was good. He said, but you should have never left the other stuff undone. You did the external, but you never got the internal, and that's the problem. And Jesus warns us as a people, and if we're not careful, we will start doing it this way, where we start living that way, where as long as it looks okay, I'm okay, but your heart's not okay. Amen. Don't, don't let it ever be said of us that we profess that we love God, but our heart is far from Him. I want to tell you, this is a heart thing, church. This is a heart thing. Amen. The first commandment is we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. But the Bible puts it this way. The Old Testament, that's the commandment. Love God with all your heart. But this is where we get the cart before the horse. We start loving God because we're commanded to. And I'm going to do it by my works and by my effort. But the New Testament starts this way. God so loved the world. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. The law says do this and you'll live. But grace says, live and do this. Amen. This is what the Bible's really saying when it says we're not saved by works. And listen, I preached about it a little bit on Sunday. You can go back and listen to it. All religions are work-based religions, except true Christianity. Listen, when somebody says, oh, I don't need to be baptized because that's a work, you, you don't understand works. 
You don't, that's not what, what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's not talking about that kind of, that is, that is, a, that is actually obedience. Obedience is not a work. Amen. But what it's saying is, by my good effort, and if I give uh, a certain amount of money, I can make it. If I, if I seem a certain level of morality based on everybody else's immorality, I want to tell you, we are not good based on anything but God making us good. If we are good by any standard other than God making it happen, if we are righteous by any other standard than God giving you and making you righteous, you and I are not righteous. Amen. The only thing that makes us righteous is his blood, is his sacrifice. Amen. We are not right. And this is what Abraham said. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you forever. Oh, that my efforts and my hard work would be enough to please God. And the whole allegory that Paul is making in Galatians chapter 4 is that, that Ishmael will never be the child of promise, that the law will never be the fulfillment, that, that the Old Testament will never be Jesus. you got to get to Isaac, the child of promise. you got to get to the New Testament. you got to get to grace. you gotta, you got to start not based on... On what you can do but based on what he has done for us and if we get the cart before the horse we can do this as long as and I, I'm not saying don't come to church but but let me tell you I don't go to church because I'm trying to go to church to be saved Jesus saves me not me coming to church oh hallelujah well nobody's showing up on Sunday praise God uh, I'm not, and, and, and this is what it really looks like when you live with Ishmael. Well, I gotta, I gotta make sure the pastor sees me praying, so that I can, I can get favor from God. You are living with Ishmael. That is not, first off, that's not spiritual maturity, amen. That is living with Ishmael. That is living under the law. That is saying, if I do good enough, I'll be accepted. But grace says, live, and do this. Because you're alive. It, it, this says, if I do this, I'll be loved. But grace says, you're already loved, so do this. You're already loved. You don't need to wait. Well, if, I, if I'm just perfect enough, and if I've, got enough, if I've got enough gold stars in Sunday school, then I'll finally be good. If I can finally get enough gold stars from the pastor, I'll be good. You are setting the bar far too low. You are already loved by God. You are, you, the grace of God is that which we don't deserve, that which we could never earn. It came to us when we were without strength, while we were ungodly. The Bible says he died for us while we were sinners. You know, think about that woman that's caught in the very act of adultery. Embarrassing. Listen, I want you to think in your mind, not to be condemned, but of your worst mistake and your worst sin. And remember that at that point, not when you were looking nice at church, not when you were being good and being religious. That's Ishmael. That's the Old Testament. That's the law. That, well, I'm good. You know, there's some folks that now that they, man, I've been saved for so many years, and they pride themselves on that, and thank God you're saved. Praise God. But they pride themselves on that, and that is their entire, uh, their entire walk with God is based on their pedigree, who they're related to, how many years they've been saved, all these different things. Instead of that being a testimony, it's become an idol, and they're living with Ishmael, and they don't know it. But 
when you get grace, uh, you recognize it's not anything I've done. Uh, it's not anything I could do. He just loves me. He and, and nothing I can do will make him love me more, and nothing I've done will make me make him love me less. And there's some people that go to this Ishmael side. They'll think he died for me because I'm pretty cool. He died for me because I'm talented. He died for me because I've got it together. He died for me because I got a house. He died for me because I got money in the bank. He died for me because I got a good family. He died for me because I got a good marriage. That's why they keep up the marriage, and that's why they keep up their spirituality. But if you get the cart before the horse, you've missed it all, and you're living with Ishmael. But if you get it right, uh, you realize uh, he loves me when I was a sinner, and really he died for me when I was, if I could remember the worst I've ever been, he actually died for me at that moment. Uh, he didn't wait for me to get good. He loved me when I wasn't good. He loved me when I was bad. You gotta, you gotta get rid of Ishmael, and you gotta get rid of Hagar, and you gotta get rid of this old way of thinking that says if I can do something, then I'll be good enough. And you gotta live with Isaac, uh, that says it's a child that came from God, it's a promise that came from God, it's a grace that came from God, it's love that came from God, and there's nothing you could do to earn it, uh, nothing you could do to deserve it. It didn't come by your effort, it didn't come by your work, it came by Him. I think we ought to stand and let's magnify the Lord all across this building. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to deliver somebody from the if. Well, if I could do this and if I could be better at that, then maybe maybe that's what the answer is. No, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Maybe if I can do this and do that, no, the answer is he died for you. The answer is it's his grace. It's his mercy. Somebody pray all across this building. Come on, Ishmael will always mock Isaac. He'll always make fun of that, that you, no, you're not loved. No, 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 he doesn't really love you. No, you need to act a little better. You need to, you need to shape up. You need to get better, uh, and then you'll be worthy. No, you are worthy because Jesus made you worthy. Uh, you are worthy because he died for you. You are worthy because God put value on you, not by anything you can do. Oh, let's pray. Woo. Come on. Come on, Hagar and Ishmael, that's bondage. That's, that's real bondage. Amen, where you think you, you just, I got to live up to it. I got to live up to expectations. I've got to live up to, to my ideal. I've got to live up to some external thing that didn't come by God. Uh, when the truth is, you got to be filled with the Spirit, and you just got to walk with God in relationship. Uh, amen, hallelujah, because he already loves me. The law says, do this, and I'll let you live. Grace says, I let you live, so do this. Why do you go to church? Because Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I don't do it because I'm trying to earn his love. Why do you live the way you live? Because I want to be accepted. You're already accepted. You're already his. I want him. I want him. I want him to. I want him to claim me. He already claimed you. In the waters of baptism, his name was called over your life. So, does that mean I don't do anything? No. 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 It's just the way you view it. 
And listen, if I could ever deliver, ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. If I could ever deliver Pentecost from anything, it's this right here. Period. This right here. Does that mean we stop living the way we live? No. We just do it with the right order. Does it mean I start being less holy? No. I just start being holy in the right order. Does that mean I start, does it mean I just go out and just, throw, and there's people that because they've seen it in the wrong order, they thought we just need to throw it all out. That is not true. That's not accurate. That's not the way to do it. You still do everything we do. You just do it with the right order. You do it with the right perspective. I'm not doing this so I can fit in with my fellowship. I'm doing this because God so loved the world. And this is the calling he's got. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost in whom the Spirit of God dwells? It has nothing to do with what other people think about me. I'm a temple. There, there's, just, there's just some things that are acceptable at the ballpark that aren't acceptable at the temple. There are some things that are acceptable at the bar that are not acceptable at the temple of God. In fact, if you, if you, in fact, they accuse Jesus of blaspheming God and blaspheming the temple. So when Paul wrote about you being the temple of the Holy Ghost, he was giving you the greatest elevation you could ever have. Amen. He was saying that, that based on all of this, uh, amen, there's things you couldn't even talk bad about the temple. You couldn't even speak bad about the temple. Ah, I got the, I feel it, in, I feel it on me right here. I feel a preach. I came to teach, but I feel a preach. And you will rag on yourself, and you will talk bad about yourself. You know, they would stone you in the Old Testament if you talk bad about the temple, if you talk bad. In fact, when they showed up, the apostles had a custom. They looked at Jesus and said, oh, how beautiful are the stones of the temple. They knew we can't talk bad about the temple. That's how elevated the temple was in the Old Testament. And Paul elevates you and I. And he says, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Ghost? Ooh. At what point? When I got my life together? No. When he filled you with the Holy Ghost. How many got filled with the Holy Ghost when you were perfect? Anybody? No? No? Me neither. <laughs> I got the Holy Ghost when I was a filthy rotten sinner i got the holy ghost when i still cussed i got the holy ghost when i still lived in a drug home i want to tell you but you know when i became the temple of the holy ghost again you got to get it in the right order i became a, i became the temple of the holy ghost when i still had problems i became the temple of the holy ghost when i still made mistakes i, I became the temple of the holy ghost when i still had bad habits I, I became the temple of the holy ghost why because the way god does it uh, is he fills you with the holy ghost uh, and, and he makes you the temple immediately uh, and he works on you from there uh, and he sanctifies you from there uh, the Old Testament is the opposite uh, it says you gotta work on it you gotta build it uh, you gotta erect the temple you gotta become perfect uh, and then God will inhabit you but the New Testament says uh, I'll inhabit uh, you right now uh, while you are a sinner because grace is the fulfillment of of the law. Would you lift up your hands? You don't have to live under the shadow. And I'll talk about it next week. You don't have to live under the shadow of condemnation. You don't have to live under the shadow of shame and guilt. You don't have to live under the shadow of I've got to please God because I, I, I've got to do this, that, and the other to please God. No, God is pleased with you. And now you do the things, uh, amen, that are right. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. 
Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody pray in this house. You got you to you kick out Ishmael and the bondwoman. You got to kick out that bondage mindset. Uh, you got to kick out that, that slave mindset. Uh, and you got to adopt a son mindset. And that is the example right there. And I'm done here. We'll pray at the altar. Ishmael, no matter what he did, would always be the son of a slave. No matter what he did, he was always going to be a servant. Whew. And you can live for God all your life like a slave. And not based on relationship. And will you look good? Will people think you're all right? Absolutely. But you're in bondage and you don't know it. Or you can live like Isaac. I'm a son. I'm a son. I just, I was just born, I was born again into this. Hallelujah. I, I didn't do anything to deserve this, anything to earn this. It's just by his grace and by his mercy. I want to open up this altar. Would you come? Because whether you know it or not, this is actually one of the premier challenges in our world. There are, and it doesn't matter if it's in Christianity, it doesn't matter if it's in Buddhism, it doesn't matter if it's in Islam, they're all going to tell you, you need to do something, you need to be something, and then God will fill you, then God will come down to you, then God will inhabit you, then, 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 but this is the opposite, because Isaac was born free, you can get a hold of this gospel, you can get a hold of Jesus today, you can let God fill you, you can let God love you because he already loves you you uh, amen there's nothing you could do about it would you come and pray let's all let's all come and pray because right now we all need amen from myself to everybody else uh, amen if we're not careful we'll let ishmael back in the house uh, we'll let the ideology uh, I'll, I'll just i'll just serve him i'll just be a slave and that's what's going to be good enough uh, no you got to remember i'm a child of the king uh, i'm a son and there's nothing i could do about this uh, amen i was born into the family i was born in i've got the dna running through my veins uh, i've got the DNA. I've got the redemption. Uh, amen. That came by repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. I've got the Holy Ghost. Uh, amen. Somebody pray right now. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. Don't let Ishmael mock you. Amen. Don't let your mistakes mock you and say, well, you haven't been good enough. You haven't tried hard enough. That that's that is religion. That is not the grace of God. The grace of God says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you. Amen. And, and it doesn't matter if you're going faster, you're going slow. He loves you. You just keep moving forward because you're a child. You keep growing because you're a child. You keep maturing because you're a child of God.
everything that you're becoming is is getting you to be loved by God. You're already loved by God, so just keep becoming. Everything I'm growing into is not making me loved by God. I'm already loved by God, so I'm going to keep letting God grow me and make me, shape me.
All us pray all across this building. Come on. You got to get Ishmael out of the house. You got to get rid of that old way of thinking. You got to get rid of the old merit system. If I can get enough points, if I can get enough stars, if I can put in enough energy and enough effort and enough time, then I'll finally achieve and finally attain. No. Hallelujah. Jesus already paid the price. You know, Ishmael spent 14, 14 years of his life being told by Abraham, you're the promised child. Abraham believed it. Ishmael believed it. And there was that element that you can convince yourself that Ishmael is Isaac. But it's not. And no matter what, Ishmael will grow up into an older, bigger Ishmael. Right? Because that's, that's what he was born to be. That's his DNA. Right? Use the allegory that Paul talked about. The law, all it does is it just grows into a bigger law. This is why it started with 10 commandments. And by the time it grew, it was over 600 commandments. Because you, when you have that way of thinking, to, it's a merit system. And in America, we got to be careful because we live by the merit system. Everybody heard of a credit score? You don't start off with a good credit score. You, you start off with a neutral credit score. And one bad thing, you spend the rest of your life trying to fix it. And somebody said amen. Did you know the opposite is grace? You start off redeemed, forgiven, loved. It's an, it's an opposite. And all Isaac grows up into is a bigger Isaac. Because that's who he is. And if we're not careful, we'll try, we'll try to commingle these things. We'll try, to, we'll try to bring the merit system into the kingdom of God and try to marry these two concepts. But they aren't meant to live under the same roof, right? The, the, the law, it was a shadow. It was, it was, the, the, it was the prophecy. But, but the New Testament is the promise. It's the fulfillment. It's, the, it's Jesus showing up and showing us the very image of the thing. In, in this old way of thinking, it's if I can do enough, say enough, be enough, I'll, I'll finally arrive. And people will strive their whole life. You know people right now working their fingers of the bone to buy bigger houses and bigger stuff. And it's the American dream. And I'm not against you owning nice stuff. I, I think, you know what, if you're blessed, be blessed. Be as blessed as God will bless you. But they'll, they'll buy things that they can't afford to impress people they don't even know or like because they're trying to work their way up the system. But the opposite says, I'm already loved. I'm already accepted. And, and from that, I'm going to grow and mature. And whatever comes as a result of me, now I'm no longer chasing a rabbit. Right? I'm no, everything I do is just an outgrowth of what's in my DNA and who I am and who I'm called to be. And everything I become is an outgrowth of my relationship with God. It's not, if I can do this, then I'll have relationship. It's, I have relationship, therefore, I do this. Amen. Let's lift up our hands. Let's pray one more time. I want you to chew on this for a while. I've been chewing on this for years. I'm still chewing on it. 
Oh, God, help me to come from the right perspective. Help me to get this in the right order, God. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. I, I don't want to start from the premise that I've got to work and earn and fight for it. No, you've already paid the price, God. You've already paid the price, Jesus. Pray, God, for each and every one of us, God, that we would live not with Ishmael but with Isaac. Pray, God, that you'd help us live according to the gift that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's say one more thing, hopefully, to really drive the point. Imagine I bought you dinner. Wouldn't that be nice? Y'all could buy me dinner. You know, we'll switch it up. No, imagine I bought you dinner. And you spent the entire meal in the kitchen doing dishes to pay for the meal. That wouldn't make any sense. I already bought you dinner. Enjoy the meal. No, I got I to gotta I gotta, I gotta do dishes so that I can pay for the bill. Bill's already been paid. Enjoy the meal and the company. That is Isaac. Amen. Shake hands. Be friendly. Love one another. We will see you on Sunday or sooner. Invite somebody to come with you. We're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And don't forget, there are out there. We meant to put it out on Sunday early enough. We forgot. We weren't able to get to it. There is some. There are some treats, some Costa Rican candies. You might find a little bit of American candies in there. Please don't eat them in the sanctuary, but uh, you just go. They're out there. Brother Lavin's going to pull them up for you. And God bless you in Jesus' name.